Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Good morning, parents and grandparents in Radioland. It's Richard and Linda Iyer on the road. It's probably afternoon where you are, but we are coming up to Christmas, and it's hard to tell if it's morning or afternoon anymore, right? Oh, yeah. Way to cover for me, honey. That's right. I said good morning. Who knows? They could be listening to this at any hour of any day. (laughs) That's true. Anyway, we have been on the road getting ready to leave for Christmas this week. We are absolutely going to be gone. I don't know if we mentioned that last week or not, but we are headed to see two new grandbabies. We get to see our first one tonight in San Diego. And we should mention his name. We should, because (laughs) it is Bennett Richard Iyer. (laughs) And who cares about the Bennett part, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) So we get to see that little grandson tonight, and then we'll go straight to New York City to see a new little granddaughter who hasn't quite popped into the world yet, but will do so any day, any moment. This is a first baby for them, so we are so thrilled. But can you imagine a better Christmas present than two little grandchildren? I mean, man. I can't. And we did not even put up a Christmas tree this year because we aren't going to be here to enjoy it. Nobody's going to be here. So, But there is a really big tree in New York City that makes up for it. So That's correct. 60 feet high. We're going to call that our, our Christmas tree. But, you know, along with that, the wonder of Christmas and all the things we've talked about in previous weeks leading up to Christmas... There is a little sort of a naughty little negative that rears its ugly head every once in a while in an especially prominent way during the Christmas season, and that is the little bad elf called debt. And it is very real. According to statistics, there are a lot of people that are paying for Christmas all through the year. Well, it's just such an easy time to let consumer debt run away with you because we all want a big Christmas. We all want a fun Christmas, a joyful Christmas, an elaborate Christmas. And so sometimes it's easy to make excuses for just pulling out that credit card a few more times. And and we never, have you noticed that you never really, even people who say, oh, I keep track of everything I spend, no one ever really does, and when the bill comes, Linda, it is always a surprise. Well, it is, but and it's you should, not a happy surprise. You should never say always or never, yeah, <laughs> which I just true. said again, <laughs> because that's a lot true. of people. I mean, there are some really conscientious people who know exactly how much they have, but it is they are certainly in the minority. Well, we do know people who, uh, and believe me, they are dinosaurs in this world of ours who use. Only cash. Or we even, I even know a couple that uh, still budgets their money by putting cash into various envelopes, each of which are labeled, uh, you know, what it, what it is, what budget category it is. Christmas presents, there's a certain amount of cash in there. And when it's spent, they're done. And in a way, I admire that, but also, I'm telling you, it's getting more and more inconvenient society and retail merchandising is making it more and more inconvenient to 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 use cash even to use checks 
And so more and more people either go the debit card route or the credit card route, and most of those darn debit cards, when you run out of money, they slop over and become a credit card. And so we're worried about debt. We think that it's one of the things that undermines families and marriage relationships in very, very serious ways. And uh, we're going to talk a little about it today. We're not going to preach. We're not going to try to be preachy financial advisors, which we're not by any stretch of the imagination. But we're going to talk a little about debt today from the standpoint of how much it can injure a family. And we're going to maybe have a few real simple ideas on how to avoid letting debt kind of run away with you, either at Christmas or at any time during the year? Well, I think we should start by saying that we we do have nine children, and they all deal with money. And um, they all deal with money differently, even though they've been raised in the same house with the same parents, with the same um, so, so to, so-called... Um, I don't know, Bible of how to work with money. They all do it just a little differently. But I think the the good news is, and again, I hesitate to uh, brag in any way, and I kind of knock on wood as I say this, where's some wood, there's some. I, I just, uh, I, I think they, even though they differ in how they handle money, the good news is that they all handle it pretty well, and none of them have uh, consumer debt of any magnitude. Yeah, I mean, they still are in debt with their homes. And actually, you should really capsulize a, a column that we did a couple of weeks ago in the newspaper about debt and um, what we used to tell children and what we now advise children to do. Well, you know, I think it was sort of traditional wisdom for many, many years that uh There were two kinds of debt, good debt and bad debt. And obviously the bad debt is consumer debt and credit card debt and and anything where you're – the definition I always used to try to tell the kids is bad debt is something where you go into debt to buy something which will depreciate. So at the same time as you're paying interest – the thing you bought is getting worth less and less, so you're you're losing money in two ways. It's like a, a double-edged sword. And an example of that, of course, would be a car. And a lot of people get worried about this because it's become very, very acceptable to go into debt on a car. But it is a great example of a double-edged debt, which is going to get you both coming and going because... You, you're paying interest on that loan for the car, and the minute you drive that car off the lot, it is worth less, and it continues to depreciate from then on. And so uh, if we figure it out in the brutally sort of candid way, uh, these cars cost us a lot more than we think they do. And while I'm on the car tangent, by the way, one of the things that bothers us in talking to a lot of young couples these days <clears throat> is that they honestly don't even know how much the car cost. Yeah. All they know is what the monthly payment is. And, uh, boy, that that is not a good way of thinking financially. But getting back to my point, or the thing you asked, Linda, so consumer debt, anything that depreciates, we used to tell the kids that's a bad debt. Well, I remember you telling the kids, when you drive that car off of the lot, you use blank thousand dollars and that it really is true 
But yeah. but before we get too off on, far off on cars, let me answer what you said, which was, you know, the the good debt we used to tell them was basically two things: a house and your education. And the rationale was those two things appreciate in value. And, and, you know, at that time in history, every house I'd ever heard of had gone up in value over time. Yeah, and we had a lot of good luck with houses and real estate. You remember when we bought our very, very first house, we were straight out of school. We had saved 20% of our income, and we'll get more into that later, but which was not much at all. And we had just barely enough for a down payment on that house, and it was fifty thousand dollars. And we thought, well, not we, the down payment, the total cost of I mean, the house. The, yeah, the, I mean, I mean to say that the whole house cost fifty thousand dollars, and we just thought we are going to lose our shirts on this. Oh my gosh, we were hypoventilating, thinking, can it possibly go up? Because that seemed like such an outrageous amount to us. What if it goes down? What if we lose all this? Well, it's a little different story now. And by the way, hypoventilating is even worse than hyperventilating. <laughs> I said hyperventilating. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that is funny to look back on. Um, but that was a lot of years ago. And so we said, you know, houses will go up in value, and so that's a good debt. And your education will go up in value, so that's a good debt. Well, you have to second think even those two things. I mean, I still believe that those two are the only things that could ever be called a good debt. But, boy, you have to be so careful now in getting a deal on a house that uh, and having enough of a down payment that you don't get a loan which could become less or could become more than what your house is worth. And education has gone up so much in cost that we run into so many young couples and young people these days who are who really believe that they may be repaying college debts for 10 to 20 years. And so, again, just cavalierly borrowing all the money you can give for college used to be kind of a smart thing to do, but is now a really dumb thing to do. Man, we have a nephew who just wanted an education so much, and he went off and found one of the most expensive schools in the country, very remote, um, and bar- I mean, you know, he got it alone, but he also borrowed um, so much money that honestly, I think he will be paying back for the rest of his life. So we're going to talk a little more about some of our concerns with debt in families, and then we're going to take a break in about five minutes. And then when we come back, we're going to shift into the positive and try to give you some, some again, kind of simple, but I sometimes think simple is the best solutions or formulas or ideas to try to limit uh, your debt and more importantly to try to raise kids who are scared to death of debt you see that's really one of the problems linda is a lot of a lot of i mean i read an article not too long ago in a in a respected publication where they had polled uh you know kids in their 20s and the the majority of them thought that it was a a negative status symbol not to have debt. In other words, if you don't have some debt, hey, you're not living. You're not, you know, you're not do. You're not part of society. And B, they actually thought it was a good thing to have some debt, and they listed reasons like that. I'll 
I could use that to improve my credit rating. I can have some things to enjoy now that I couldn't have otherwise. And they list all these reasons why debt was actually a good thing. I would like kids growing up to to have two things that they were absolutely clear on. One, debt is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And number two, it can eat you alive. Well, I think we need to uh, be sure that people know that we're not totally wonky on this. I mean, we realized we had gone a little too far on this at one point and decided that our children really should, I mean, they really didn't have credit cards. None of us had credit cards for a long time, but um, we decided that it was, they decided really, that it was important to have a credit card to buy something on it and pay pay it immediately so that they do have a credit rating, so that when it comes time to build a house or whatever, that they have a good credit rating. That's right, and a lot of them and a lot of a lot of really, really prudent families have their kids get one credit card, make one purchase a month, a small one, and pay it right on time, and that's all. But that that's just, I mean, that basically is not uh, using a credit card. It's, it's using it symbolically just to um, build up, a, a you know, a record of, of, of paying your loan. Sure. But, but let me give you a quick, just before we go to break, let me give you a couple of case studies just to think about. And, 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 you know, I'm going to make them a little extreme, but, uh, but not really. I mean, we do see kids in this first category who um, they get as many credit cards as they can as soon as they can. They use, they max them out. They sometimes, you know, when one runs out, it's sometimes easier to get another one and start getting money on it rather than pay the bill. Others delude themselves by saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm paying. You know, I pay the minimum payment every month on the card. Well, that's exactly what the credit card companies want you to do because sure. that maximizes the interest they'll collect on you. And, and you're spending far more each month than what you're actually paying. So by definition, you're getting deeper and deeper in debt. And, and basically people who, who young people who have seen it around them and sort of learned by what they see and who think that by you getting things now and, and consuming them now, using them now and paying for it later is the norm and it's the norm they've decided to follow. Now contrast that with, with a, a person I'm thinking of right now. He's a young guy. He's, he's, he's 18 years old. He's just leaving home to go to college. Uh, he does have a car, but he bought the car with cash. It is a clunker, Linda. It's a <laughs> clunker car, right. but he has no debt on it, and, and he drives it around, and, you know, it may, be, it may break down on him. You yeah, know, you may, may have, have problems to pay some towing it. charges. But, but, he's not, but he's not in debt, and his idea is... When he has a little more money, he'll get a little better car. But it will always be a car that he can pay for with cash, and he will not have debt on it. And he will be. And his other idea, by the way, is he, he will try very hard to work part-time while he's in college just to minimize, to cut to the absolute minimum what he'll be borrowing for college. And his third, his third idea is that when he's able to afford 
some kind of a little house, he will live below his means in order to have a house where his debt is fairly small and where he can fix the house up and really count on some appreciation on it. I don't know about you, but I think that second model is the one I want my kids to follow. Man, it's just trying to talk them into it that's the problem. But it is so crucial to stay out of debt. It's our biggest problem across America right at this time. Absolutely. So let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll try to give you a few ideas that may help you with this massive monster called debt. And we're back with Ayers on the Road. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, we're about to get on the road, but today we are talking about the road to debt or the road away from debt, I guess, is the second half. Um, We hope we've convinced some of our listeners that um, there's a different way to do financial means with your children, and and now we're really going to try and give you a few ideas, and you can take them or leave them. Someone told us, and this is going way back, honey, but someone told us back in the days before we were married, when we were engaged and we were seeking advice from people we admired, some of them, by the way, we admired because they were well-to-do and seemed comfortable in their lives, and that seemed to us to be a lovely thing. And one of the most memorable points of advice was someone who told us, listen, you can actually live, if you make up your minds and if you set your mind and if you get in the habit of thinking this way, you can actually live on 70% of the money you make. And you can take 10% and give it to your church for tithing or for charity. And you can take 20% and put it in a savings account that is separate from your other money that you cannot get at and you can let it grow. Now, there are some exceptions to that. I mean, single moms who are struggling with just getting food in their kids' mouths. I mean, everyone says, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. I use every bit of my money every month. I couldn't possibly do that. Well, actually, most people can, but we have to caution that there are some people that really can't can't do that. They can do something, but not not that much. Yeah, but the point is everyone thinks they can't because it requires a major adjustment in thinking. We we took that to heart. We started doing it when we were in graduate school, and I'll tell you, it seemed impossible on paper. We would write down, okay, here's how much we have to spend on our rent and on our food and and on our you know uh, uh, upkeep bills and on our transportation and so on. And it always came to more than what we thought we could take in. But we were so determined to do this that we we went ahead and we every time we got a little teeny paycheck and boy they were pretty small because Linda you were teaching school and I was doing odd jobs and teaching driving lessons <laughs> to Arab students who you know thought we had a big old beat up car that maybe uh, if they wrecked it nobody would notice anyway the point is we we started doing it we started taking 10% and putting it into a charity and tithing envelope. And we took 20% and we started sending it in to a Charles Schwab brokerage account. And believe me, it wasn't very much. I mean, 20% of a little teeny bit is a little teeny teeny bit. But we then 
struggled to live on the other 70%. It made us change our lifestyle. We started going to outdoor vegetable markets instead of the supermarket to save a little money on food. We started carpooling. We started walking more. And, man, it was hard to make that 70% stretch till the end of the month. You know, it really was. And I, I, Although we both came from conservative families, and I think that made a difference. I mean, both of our parents lived through the Great Depression. And so um, some of that rubbed off on us. We've always been conservative about what we've spent. But, uh, well, maybe you're getting bad now. I don't know. But anyway, um, <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, um, I really... When you get really old, you can just splurge, right, Linda? <laughs> that won't happen to us for another 20 years. No, I do know that one of our kids, though, almost had a heart attack when we bought a new car last year because they have been told never to buy a new car and we bought a new car and with cash and it was so hilarious because they wouldn't let us pay cash wasn't it wasn't that funny yeah they were very suspicious they said are you a you a drug dealer they, they thought it was really strange but you know if you can afford to do that great do it but at the same time it was such a fun time i mean now looking back at it, it was hard at the time it was a struggle i mean this might date us but honestly we went to Haymarket Square in Boston, and we had $3 that we could spend on vegetables and fruit. And we got a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, it, it was amazing how much stuff we got. And then we spent the other $9 at the grocery store, so we were spending $12 a week. How could that be possible? I mean, that just well, blows I mean, my you mind. Well, look at what we ate. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And uh, the other benefit is we didn't gain much weight. <laughs> well, right. I remember doing casseroles, though, for six, and I ate my, my share, and then you ate the other five. <laughs> Wait, let's not get into that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here's the point. Um, getting sort of going full circle to what Linda said, when we got out of graduate school, which was would have been a time of enormous poverty because, you, I mean, usually you get out of graduate school and you're just, you know, oh, finally I can make some money now and start paying my debts. And we did have debts. I mean, we did have to borrow to get through graduate school. Oh, we school, did, absolutely. But we kept it to a minimum. And, and here's the point. We had this little piddly account that we'd been putting 20% into for the two years of graduate school, and it didn't amount to a whole lot of money. But you know what? It amounted to enough to make a down payment on a little house, the very little house you mentioned, Linda. And that, those were in the days when you could sometimes move into a house for 5% down. So it made the difference between us continuing to rent and actually having a home to live in. And that little home, uh, you know, became a, a very big asset uh, over time as time went by. Now, that's an old story, but let us tell you, uh, there, there are many, we are, we're in touch with a lot of young couples today with our work, and there are good examples of, of people doing that same thing, living that 10-20-70 formula and saving little bits here and there, here and there. And I'm telling you, that's the thing that makes it possible for them to get ahead in life. The other, the, the biggest danger that we see among a lot of young couples today and young families is that they're both working, and we're not criticizing that. That happens a lot, and it's, very, it's a very important and a good thing in many cases, especially until... There are little children in the family. But the problem is their lifestyle is using up all of both of their incomes. 
And as a result, when one loses a job or when they decide to have a child and the wife makes a decision to stay home for a while, suddenly they're unable, completely unable, to meet their obligations on one salary. That's just such a huge mistake to make. On the other hand, I'm thinking of one young couple we know who they're both working, but they've decided, made a conscious decision to live on one income, in fact, on 70% of one income. So even the one whose income they're living on, they're still doing the 10, 20, 70, and they're saving 100% of what the other spouse is earning. So they're really putting away a lot of money. Now, you could argue, well, they're sure, you know, they don't have to scrimp and save. They're living way below their means. They're probably missing out on a lot of good times they sh- they could be having and a lot of comfort and so on. But I'm telling you, I admire them, and I think over time, it's that sort of frugal, provident living and the avoidance of debt, even the avoidance of the need to get debt later if one income dries up. I think there's a certain happiness that comes from that kind of provident living. Yeah, I do too, certainly. We do want you to know that we are living in the real world. I mean, we did recommend that our kids get houses as soon as they could. And it was at the top of the bubble. We didn't know it was the top of the bubble. You know, we just thought, okay, just get a house because, you know, we had done so well in real estate. And we have a couple of kids living in there, living in houses that are worth far less than, than what, what they, they pay for them. Yeah, what for they what they owe on them. So, um, you know, the, the world is real and it's changing rapidly. But I think this 10-20-70 is something that you can rely on that will last forever. I mean, it really does make a, a lot of sense to really do that. And we've ha- we have kids that are in the houses now that, I mean, even though they were worth twice as much five years ago as they are now, they said we never could have gotten into this house if we hadn't done this 10, 20, 70 thing. And so we, we do have, we keep saying to the kids, not all the time, but once in a while, you do in the 10, 10 20, 70. And uh, most of them are, are, our youngest daughter is a little bit flaky. Um, <laughs> well, she's, she's it's been a better. hard lesson for her to learn, but she is getting better. And we, on the other end of the spectrum, we have one son and his wife who actually, their formula is sort of 10, 50, 40. They're saving half of what they earn and living on 40%. Now, would I recommend that to everyone? Heavens no. They're... They're remarkable in many ways, and they have circumstances where they can do it. The point is, it all comes down to putting something away and letting it grow. And it also comes down to the idea that uh, living beyond your means ultimately is a negative status symbol. I mean, do you honestly, do you honestly admire someone who has a pretentious house, and when you walk in it, you think, wow, Either they are making way more money than I think they are, or they're way over their heads in debt. Do you admire that? I don't think very many people do. I think, I think we live in a world where what is really admired, especially among close friends, is provident living and prudence and, and being conservative about things, being a, a little bit uh, tight, if you will. I yeah. think tightness might be not such a bad thing. Well, you don't want to confuse that with not being generous, though. Right. I mean, you know, always 
we've got some kids that are overly generous. They would just literally give you the shirt off their back, and then others that are a little bit tighter. So, it, you know, you have to be careful with that word. But it really is interesting the difference it gives you in the freedom of your life if you're not laden with debt. And, of course, we know there are a lot of people out there who are in trouble because they haven't thought of that. You know, we I just read an article in the New York Times last week about a guy who was, it was a very good friend of one of our kids who just thought he was doing the right thing. He was a, f- a financial um, analyst and and was uh, advising people as to how to spend their money and how to get invested in this and that and the other. And he just got way over his head and ha- 